Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. At Bright Vibe, we believe everyone deserves to be happy. But in today's world, everywhere you turn, there is division and negativity. At Bright Vibe, we have created a global movement to bring 8 million people together who are inspired to live bright, live bold, and share bright vibes. Alone, it can be hard to change, but together we can change the world. Welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. Casey Kanghead, welcome to the Bright Vibe Podcast. So happy to have you on today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm really grateful to be here with you today. And you saying that means more than some of the people that I have on the show or more than me even saying that. <laughs> You're very grateful for being here. So today we're going to talk about survival, I think. We're going to talk about resiliency. We're going to talk about how to recover from a major shakeup in your world mm-hmm. and a shift in probably your perspective. We're going to get into all these things. And so so the reason that when you say that you're really grateful to be here, it's a little bit different. It's because you're a three-time cancer survivor and you only look like you're 29. You're a three-time cancer survivor and you went on to write a book, Finding Your Way Back to Heart Center. You know, you have a website, The Happier Hustle, which we're going to get into. And I want to talk to you about what that is. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your story of kind of, you were very young when you were diagnosed with cancer and it was a very rare form of cancer. Is that accurate? Yeah, both are very true. I was 31. I was diagnosed on February 14th. Oh, wow. <laughs> it completely changed my life. Uh, I went to the hospital follow-up appointment and on my lunch break, thinking I would be going back to work right. uh, in like an, in an hour. And I was told to go to another internist and then go to the ER, and then I was admitted to the hospital. So, wow, yeah, and I never went back to work for eight months. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so were you having some type of symptoms that led you to want to go to the doctor? Were you experiencing some physical symptoms or something? Yeah, so I it was around Christmas when I started to, like, feel lymph node. It felt like strep throat, like you could mm. feel, like, bulges in, your, in my mm-hmm. neck. We looked at my husband at the time, and I was like, you have this? And he's like, no. He's like, you'd probably get that checked out. And I thought maybe I was getting sick because right. the holidays and things. So I went and it was after Christmas and it was sometime in January when I got in and the ENT goes, hey, let's give you some, some antibiotics and we'll follow up in two weeks and see what happens. And I mean, in that time frame, I was experiencing some things that I wasn't contributing to what I was severely sick. I was experiencing some ocular issues, uh, lower back pain. I started to bruise everywhere. Like mm. I'm talking, I would touch my hand somewhere and I, there'd be a big giant bruise. Oh, wow. Wow. So it, there were things that I was just wow. like attributing to stress and knowledge <laughs> <laughs> that I just ignored, you know. But once they admitted me, uh, I was hospitalized for 30 days straight. Then I was finally able to go home. I still had to go back to the hospital three or four times uh, a week because the cancer that I have is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Mm-hmm. And it's a rare children's cancer to begin with. It's even rarer to be 31 and diagnosed with it. So it, it's an extremely hard regimen to go through. They basically throw everything in the kitchen and get it at one. And which is why you're hospitalized for 30 days in the beginning. Wow. And four months into my treatment, though, I ended up having a stroke. Oh, gosh. Therapy. And what caused the stroke? I mean, was that just compromised immune system or blood clotting? So my oncologist would say that it is one of the spinal taps that I did. 
Mm-hmm. And my neurologist will say it's the chemotherapy. So we split the right. baby in the middle. <laughs> right. And said it was like, yeah, and said it was like, yeah, and said it was like the perfect storm of all of these things at once oh. um, happening. So then I had to relearn how to walk and walk and use my entire left side of my body while still going through treatment. I was in remission. Wow. And then four months after that, because I was desperate to feel some sort of normalcy, I decided to go back to work. And in hindsight, that was the worst decision I think I could have made. But I needed normal back. And I got into remission and finished the, it's an 18-month protocol that I was on. Seven weeks later, I relapsed the first time. Mm-hmm. We were like, okay, we're back into it. Like, what happens now? So it was the choice between a clinical trial and an immunotherapy. So they're like, you're not responding to chemotherapy anymore. We're like, great. Okay. Um, so we decided to do the immunotherapy first, which failed completely. And then we decided to then go on to the clinical trial. And the clinical trial a week before I was supposed to start got shut down because okay. too many people passed mm-hmm. away. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's I'm not a, going that's through not a good trial. <laughs> but. No. And we knew something was going on because there were families, like groups of families there in mm-hmm. the, on the floor that I was in. And you just felt you knew it. You didn't have to ask the question. You just knew something wasn't right. going right. And then the trial was shut down and confirmed what we had suspected was happening. So then my husband and I looked at the medical team were like, now what? Right. And they basically looked at us and said, well, we don't really have anything. So I'm like, what do you mean? Like, there's no clinical trial anywhere else. They're like, there's one clinical trial going on at a different hospital. But the thing about clinical trials is like, there's no line skipping. So we don't, we can't guarantee that you'll be admitted to the trial and we can't get you in faster. Mm. <laughs> so the plan is what they keep me alive with blood and platelets. It doesn't sound very. Right. Good. Yeah. Right. This isn't, yeah. It doesn't sound like a great plan. No, not at all. So they finally, because the goal was to get me into remission to get a stem cell transplant. They were like, we have this immunotherapy and it was uh, just after the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society uh, wrapped up their annual conference. They're like, it's not for your cancer, but do you want to try it? And I was like, uh, I don't think we have a choice. Right, right. Like, <laughs> right. There's not much else coming my way. Right. After like some debate back and forth between like, okay, there's 114 participants. A lot of people had what I had. They said that the outcomes were not great. It was scary. And we decided, sure, why not? They were like, okay, well, we have to write a letter of compassion to the FDA and the drug manufacturer to see if you can qualify to get it. I'm like, so wait a minute, you just gave me hope, but then took it away a little bit. Like, what's right. happening here? I was like, okay, that's great. Can I get out of the hospital in the meantime? So I went home during the holidays and settled all my affairs, which is what they told me to do, and hope basically crossed my fingers and was like, if I'm supposed to be here, like, come on. Right. And it was approved. I did four rounds of that immunotherapy called isotunumab and got me into remission. And they were like, okay. Wow. Yeah. Like, I mean, wow. it was, it's a miracle. Like right. I, I genuinely 
don't know how that happened. And then they were like, okay, stem cell transplant. My brother is my donor. Mm. That went as good as the stem cell transplant can go. It'd be mm. like an organ transplant, but just your blood instead of like a heart or a right. liver or right. kidney. And then six months after that, just as I was like, okay, I think I'm okay. They caught it so early. I was feeling nothing. Mm. And because I was still going to the hospital every week for blood work and an appointment and they caught it and it just rushed me. I thought to myself, like, I can't do this. I can't. My husband was like, whatever you decide is what we're going to do. Like, I'm not driving this bus for you. You have to decide. And so I don't know how long I sat in that room and cried in that hospital. But I just came to the conclusion of like, I can't give up because my, my dad would be so upset at me. <laughs> like, it wasn't even for my life. It right. was like, because I didn't want to disappoint the people who helped me get to where it was even then. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, we're going to do one more time. I go, but that's it. We're done. Like, I'm not going to can't keep doing this because I just don't have anything left to give. Mm-hmm. We were like, is it another stem cell transplant or is it more immunotherapy? And they were like, well, let's just try the immunotherapy again because we still have to get you into remission anyways to mm-hmm. do another stem cell transplant. So we did four rounds of that and they were like, we're just going to actually wait. And I'm like, what do you mean? (laughs) They're like, we're just going to see how long this lasts. And I was like, I don't, what do you mean? Like, we're supposed to wait for it to come back. They're like, well, kind of, but we're, we don't know. We're just going to wait. So for like six months, we just waited because no one had any clue what, what to expect next. And six years later, almost, I'm still in remission. Still wow. cancer free. Wow. And by some miracle of timing and just my body going, okay, we're going to do this. Okay. Wow. That's incredible. And so, you know, as I kind of previewed your book, so basically you went through this long period of time where you're in cancer treatment, you're in hospitals, you're obviously on an emotional roller coaster of I'm, I'm good, I'm not good, I'm healthy, I'm, I'm dying. I mean, all of those things, right? I mean, with cancer, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're in remission, but it's not like you got over a cold or got over, you didn't get over something. You're just in remission. Right. So then there's still this lingering, what if I would assume after that. And so then you wrote the book, this book to kind of help other cancer survivors kind of navigate the, after the post you're in remission talk, if if that's accurate. That's a hundred percent accurate, man. Uh, like. I got through treatment as best as you can get through something like that. But I really felt lost mm-hmm. and confused and overwhelmed surviving. I was like, there's so much guilt. There's so much like, there's all these feelings now coming to the surface. And I was like, I don't know how to navigate this part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can't grit through life again because I just, I've done that my entire life. I don't want to keep doing it. I don't want to ignore it and stuff it down and it pretend like it didn't happen because it happened. And so the book is really about all of the writing prompts, not all of them, but the majority of the ones that really moved the needle for me in exploration of like, what does this mean for me? What does it mean moving forward? How do I get to the other side of feeling good again? of like accepting what I just went through 
but yet still having future and understanding that I'm going to have one. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what this book is about because navigating that process is so overwhelming. Mm. And I don't know, are there existing, you know, did, were you able to find existing groups to tap into that were more of the, I know there's cancer support groups. I don't know, are there cancer like the specifically which your book talks about, are there support groups that support people who have, are in remission from cancer on how to restart their lives? At the time, there were none. Okay. Like the only, the only resources I found were from either the hospital or charity organization that have a lot of rules. And because of that, they only use practitioners that have letters after their name. Right. And nine times out of 10, they don't go through what we go through. Right. And so there's a big disconnect on what they think helps us. And they mean nothing but the best versus what actually helps us. Mm-hmm. So I had a guest on, oh gosh, I think last year, Matthew Zachary, and he founded a not-for-profit organization. I think it was called Cancer Sucks. And it was all about like cancer survivors. It was basically like conversations between, well, people with cancer and cancer survivors, but really real conversations that were around real stuff. And so like they would make up t-shirts that would be losing your hair. You save so much on the hair care products. And right, I mean, so they would do this. It was basically like a bunch of inside jokes that only... Like, you know, cancers are, other people will probably look at that and go, can I laugh or can I not laugh? But, you know, as a cancer survivor, he was like, that shit's funny, right? And so they did. And and so it was all around having the authentic conversations around, you know, cancer and recovery, not the, the whitewashed run through all the psychology stuff and say, okay, this is what's appropriate to say, right? It was like, no, 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 right. we don't want appropriate. We want to be able to say what we actually feel. Right. Right. And that, that's a lot of the book is it's what I felt at that time and why these questions are so important because having that perspective of going through it is very different than somebody who just watches it or sees it. Right. The experience of having to have really hard conversations with people that you never thought you'd have to have in your life mm-hmm. about your life, what psychologically messes with you. There are a lot of inside jokes with cancer and his organization called Stupid Cancer. Stupid Cancer. You're right. Thank you for yeah. that. So you say so you're familiar. Okay. Stupid Cancer. I'm Very sorry. familiar. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I don't think, I think he stepped back from the board. I mean, but he was the founder or one of the co-founders, but yeah, Stupid Cancer. That's right. He's a fun guy. I've yeah. been on the podcast a couple of times. He's, we, always, we always have, I call him my Jewish brother from another mother. I'm not Jewish, but. <laughs> but, but we like the, we, we text back and forth sometimes and give each other a hard time. He's, he's a lot more opinionated than I am when it comes to everything. So, so you're familiar with that organization, but, uh, mm-hmm. so you wrote the book and now you really focus in on helping kind of coach people. Cause you know, I know you're yoga certified, personal trainer certified. It looks like, was that all post cancer that you went and got all these certifications? You just, or at what point did those kick in? Yeah. So the only one that I had prior to cancer was the virtual training because as an athlete, just really into health and fitness and got it more out of curiosity than anything. Mm-hmm. And then the rest followed mostly selfishly to heal myself. Uh-huh. I found what worked, what didn't work. And now I just continue to build upon that, build that because if I can find one thing from one thing that helps somebody else, like it's worth its weight in gold, you know? And so I'll continue to always add 
do that. But but yeah, it was done selfishly for myself. Right. Well, but you kind of need to find out what works, right? It's you were your own guinea pig. So once you figured out what worked for you, then you could pass it on to others. So is that primarily what you do now through the happier hustle? Yeah. So that is what I do. I coach women during or after cancer treatment because it is such a marathon of a journey. Like it's 90% mindset. And if you don't go into it the right way, and if you're in the middle of it and it goes sideways, there's so many things that I wish I would have known, but I didn't Mm -hmm. know. And there weren't, weren't real people talking about it. You know, even when I started talking about the struggle that I had afterward, no one, it was like, there's this chain around it that no one wanted to talk about. It's like, we need to talk about it. These conversations need to happen. Like, this is how we feel. This is how we can all list each other up. And so I'm really passionate about coaching women. And primarily I do it through group coaching and one-on-one. But I love my program that I built, A Happier Alter You. It is everything that I did. And it's just now really focused in 13 weeks. And it is everything that really, truly helped me physically, mentally, and emotionally take back control of my life and live without fear. And so, yeah, kind of what was some of the big wisdom that you gained through this whole process up until today? Kind of what are some of the, that would apply to not just cancer survivors, but everybody in general? I mean, everybody has some burden that they bear and some angst or fear. We all know fear. It's just, you know, the context is different or the content, I guess, would be different. So I guess, what are some of the, yeah, what's some of the wisdom that you gained from that whole experience? I mean, there's a lot, so I'll narrow it down. Um, <laughs> that question's almost overwhelming um, right. in and of itself. But I think for anyone that is living scared because of other people's opinions or even fear of themselves as, as far as like sabotaging themselves or fear of failure, like you trust yourself. If it's in your heart, do it and go for it because that fear doesn't go away until you start doing the thing. Right. And it's trusting yourself to know that whatever is guiding you is pointing you in the right direction. And sometimes it takes imperfect action. Like I didn't start with everything that I've got now and knew everything. It was, it was starting before I was ready and it was just fearlessly going, I know people are going to have opinions. They're always going to have opinions. People are mean. It's just what they are. And it's still staying the course. I know where my heart and soul are at, regardless of what people are telling me or saying to me. I know what I'm doing. And just trusting that so much in your bones. And so that's describing kind of the relationship that you developed with yourself. Did you also uh, deepen like a faith relationship or a spiritual relationship? Because you'd mentioned earlier on in the podcast something about kind of throw up a wish and a prayer type thing. But you know, did that expand out or make not sense? But did you get more insight into uh, that part of your life as well? I would say 100%. Before cancer, I would say I was not religious at all. And in fact, probably quite the opposite. I'm probably in the spiritual realm of things. Like I believe in source and universe, but it's not one thing or one person. And I think it's just the collective of everything that's in our world. Energy is energy, right? The table, you and me, all this from the same place, Mm -hmm. shockingly enough. And so 
it definitely helped me question what did I believe, what did I not believe, finding that part of me because I definitely didn't have that before. Yeah, I've heard, I, I heard a gentleman speak once I was part of, or still I am, I guess, but part of a business association and one of our members had went into remission from going through cancer. He had been pretty private about it and he got up and spoke to just the 40 of us that were a part of that association. And one of the first things he said was, while I would never want to do it again, cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me. He said, because I, I stopped focusing on work. I started focusing on my family. It put everything in the perspective of what's important in my life. He said, you know, I was not only thinking about, you know, years from now, I was thinking about what do I needed to do to help and prepare my family in the next six months or the next year so that they're not dependent on me going forward. He said it just totally shifted, you know, his relationship with life. And so even though did not, you know, he wouldn't wish to necessarily that on anyone for him, it was a catalyst that was, ended up being a very positive thing in his life anyway. And it seems it's had a similar effect in your life as far as maybe setting you free from some fears and putting you in touch with the all or the, the oneness of life or whatever you want to call that. I would completely agree. And it makes you take a really hard look at your own life and prioritize the things that truly matter. Like going back to work after eight months of being out to work with the worst decision I had made throughout my journey, mostly because work is still going to be there at the end of the day. I should have been taking care of myself. And the universe was like, you didn't learn the lesson the first time. So <laughs> We're here we go again. <laughs> right. yeah. You know, not that I wanted to go through it again and again, but right. like, I clearly didn't get the message of mm. what I was supposed to be doing. Since then, I have shifted all of my priorities, health, family. It's so different for me now, living this life. And even though COVID is pseudo in the back mirror, there's still lingering effects of that. I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of trauma and PTSD that's still related with, I had a guest come on that was the psychotherapist for the, I think the Detroit Pistons. And he and I were talking about that PTSD assumes that it's post and the problem is there's a lot of people that are still ling the lingering effects of whether it's financial or just being shut in or just putting things into perspective. And it's like, and of going through trauma or, or going through a period of time where it's like, I don't know who, who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. And, uh, you know, even myself recently, a reason we're not, I don't have my pretty headphones on and my mm -hmm. mic and all the nice lights is because I just relocated to Asheville, North Carolina last week after living in Kansas for 45 years. So, wow. <laughs> so good for you. Well, I needed something to shake up my own life, right? It was kind of like, I feel blessed that I haven't you know, had any major health issues, but I, I was actually struggling with mental issues and spiritual issues. And it was like, I've got to do something different. So we re relocated my family and our two kids. And now we're living in Asheville, North Carolina for a lifestyle choice to just kind of shake it up and say, what are the priorities? What are the things that matter? What, you know, what's his life about chasing the dollars and chasing the yeah, the accolades of I got the promotion or I got the award or I got, you know, all this external validation or is it a little bit more than that? And I, and I think it's a balance, right? It, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do well vocationally and wanting to do well in career. And I think a lot of that, especially when it comes from service-based, heart-centered space, beautiful, right? I mean, if you can, your vocation and your passion and kind of your calling all become one, gosh, what a more powerful, you know, there's nothing more powerful than that as far as doing good in the world. 
there is that focus on you know, what is my relationship with the higher power? How are my relationships with my family and friends? And are those in order? Because yeah, when I die, that job's still going to, that job is going to be done by somebody else, right? Somebody else can be doing that job, whatever that job right. is. Right. And even relationship to yourself. That's the thing, like when the world slows down and you actually take a moment to breathe and you look around and you're like, what does this mean? Like, what am I all, what am I doing this all for? Right. With that big question, when you break it down, it's like you get the priorities, you get to find what it is that lights your soul up. And you're right. If it all is one thing at one time, it's, it's a beautiful thing, but a lot of people don't even have one thing and that's it's heartbreaking yeah 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 very sad and you know that's a big reason why i still continue to do this podcast is to bring people on the show like yourself to have these conversations that for people that are in that space of kind of confusion or don't know what their purpose is or don't know how to serve it's hopefully an inspiration to to go look you know to go expand to go explore to look with some new eyes or a fresh perspective of what do you want out of life or what's life wanting out of you, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. it's more of, you, you mentioned this earlier, it's kind of like, you know, when you're headed down a direction that, that typically uh, is where you're headed, things feel a little bit better and they feel a little bit more joyful and there's a little bit more ease. And, and when there's lots of resistance, probably not the area you're supposed to be in, right? That's resistance. Um, <laughs> so if you could impart one message to kind of, the other 8 billion humans now that are on the face of the earth, what message, this is my Miss America question. The, um, the, uh, if you could, (laughs) if you could do one thing, but if you had one message to impart to the rest of the humans to make their life a, a better life or just a more purposeful life, what would that message be? I would say, honestly, to live an authentic life for yourself. And to not just check the boxes of life because somebody told me to. Because that's what I was doing. Checking boxes. Oh, did it, did it, did it, did it. And it wasn't filling my heart and my soul up. Right. And so I'm going to ask a follow-up question because you said it that way. But what does fill your heart up now? What does fill your heart and soul up? I have a, a big reason why I think I'm here is like this passion of giving back this purpose of being able to help somebody else who's struggling. And, you know, I do really believe that together we are stronger and together we rise because if I can lift somebody up and they lift somebody up and they lift somebody else and, you know, it's like a domino effect. I might never know the impact that I'll have on someone, but just being able to have a a voice is everything. Totally. Well, that's, yeah, so happy that you came on today. And uh, so your website's thehappierhustle.com, is that right? Mm-hmm. .com, thehappierhustle.com. Yeah. And you can check out and read more about your story. You can find your book there. You can find all your certifications, a little bit more about what, how you work with people, right? And, and stay in contact. And then you also on social media at all? Yes. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram at thehappierhustle. Well, very cool. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate that. And if you ever want to come back on and share things that are happening in your life, we'd be happy to have you come back on and visit with us. We always like to put out the name of our show, Bright Vibes. We like to put out bright vibes in the universe and definitely you're doing that. And we want to bring more light to people who are doing really great things in the world. So thank you for doing great things and thank you for sharing your life with us today. 
Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity and the platform to do so, Matt. I really appreciate it. I'm sure we will see you again sometime on the show. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Casey. Thank you for being a part of the Bright Vibe podcast. For more information, go to brightvibe.com. That's B-R-I-T-E, vibe, B-I-B-E.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you.